0: Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. I'm gonna invite you, actually would love to invite everyone to stand if you are able to. Because I would like to read from Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. And the reason why I'm asking you to stand is just um, as a physical reminder to ourselves that we bring ourselves under the word of God. That this is um, the truth of Christ. It is the truth of the Father. And we humble ourselves before what he would say to us this morning. Ephesians chapter two, verse one to 10, from death to life. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children of of wrath as the others were also but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses you are saved by grace he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we are in the midst of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And if you are joining us for the first time today, it is such a pleasure and a privilege to have you in our Light Downtown community. We are working through Paul's letter, Ephesians. And this letter is made up of two major movements. The Gospel Proclamation and then the Gospel Said another way, Ephesians outlines both our position and then our practice in Christ, who we are in him and then how we are to live as a result. Throughout chapter one, which we've read as a community, Paul has turned the gaze of our heart towards Christ. He's done a beautiful job of turning the eyes of our heart towards Jesus because it is by him and him alone that we understand who we are as he writes in Ephesians 1 verse 1 as faithful saints in Christ Jesus. As we now turn to Ephesians chapter 2, the gospel proclamation collides with the story of humanity in two ways. Firstly, it radically redefines the way that you and I relate to God. And then secondly, it radically redefines how we relate to one another. And what we're going to do this week is see how Jesus radically redefines our relationship to the Father. We're going to walk through three important biblical realities. Firstly, like we see in verse 1 to 3, we are, apart from Christ, the walking dead. Secondly, because of God's great mercy and his gracious intervention, there is a watershed moment for all of humanity. And then finally, like we see in verse eight to 10, we're going to talk about the wonderful truth that we are, in fact, alive in Christ. Firstly, let's begin with the walking dead. Verse 1 to 3 reads And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclination of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Friends, Daryl Johnson tells us that the good news of Jesus Christ is so is good precisely because the bad news is so very bad. The good news of Jesus Christ is so good precisely because the bad news is so very bad. You were dead. Can you say dead? Dead. You were dead. No one likes to speak about death particularly over the weekend, and especially on special weekends like this one, but clearly no one told Paul. This being said, death is something that all of us will face if we haven't faced it already. We know that nothing is more final than death, and there is nothing more helpless than death. And there is nothing that we can do to bring back a loved one who has died. A couple of months ago, my four-year-old son, Caleb, had a dramatic encounter with this reality. You see, my mom, Carol, passed away almost 15 years ago. And late one night, I was with both my boys, Caleb and Judah. And after we had prayed together, they began to speak about my mom. Judah, our oldest son, loves history. And he loves story. And he finds great Personal joy in understanding who he is and where he has come from. He loves the story of his lineage. And so he finds great comfort in asking questions about his granny. This gives him stories to understand who she was and who he is as a result. But on this particular night, the questions that Judah was asking provided no comfort whatsoever for Caleb. Needless to say, I spent a good 30 minutes trying to console Caleb, who was upset and visibly enraged that his granny had died. He was infuriated because no matter how much he cried and no matter how much he shouted, I don't want a dead granny, there was nothing anyone could do to bring her back. And while it was very sad on one hand, and I did have a good cry, I also had a bit of a laugh because I was sobered by the comical reality of this experience. My son, resolved to bring his granny back by sheer force, was unable to do so. And the rest of his family was totally helpless in the reality of the finality of her death. Nothing is more final and nothing is more helpless than death. Paul writes to remind the church in Ephesus that this is exactly who we are apart from Christ. You were dead. From the very first pages of Scripture, Genesis teaches us that we were created by God in His image for good works good works that we are to do in partnership with him. However, things go terribly wrong, and humanity made and now continues to make the choice to go it alone, to push against the goodness of God's rule and live without the living God. And as a result of our rebellion against the living God and as a result of our sin, we begin to die. And we die in ways that are not always obvious, but in ways that are ultimately catastrophic. When a flower is clipped from its roots, it begins to die. The moment our phones are unplugged from a power source, they begin to die. When San Diegans are removed from the sun, they begin to die. Apart from the living God, We are dead. Scripture teaches us that sin is to miss the mark, which Paul says all of us have done, all of us. All of us at one point or another have chosen to go it alone and to live without the living God. As a result, we trespass, we transgress, we ignore a clear directive from God We ignore a boundary and we sin. Paul tells us, and when we're honest, our own personal stories confirm that indeed we have all done this. The scriptures tell us that no one is righteous, not even one, and this results in our death. Scripture argues that there is more than one way for us to be alive, And that there is more than one way for us to be dead. So our physical bodies can be alive for a while, but we can be spiritually dead, which is the sphere of life that ultimately matters. Disconnected from the living God, we are dead in relationship with the author of life. Disconnected from the living God, we are the walking dead. And try as we might, On our own, we are not alive in ways that ultimately count. You were dead, Paul writes. We were dead, all of us. We might have healthy bodies, engaged minds, and enigmatic personalities, but at the core of who we are, apart from the living God, we are dead. Unresponsive to him. We might pioneer in our workplace, purchase organic produce, and cultivate connection with people around us. But at the core of who we are, apart from the living God, we are dead, unresponsive to him. (coughs) Paul continues to explain that the walking dead follow and live under the power of three key influences. I'm going to take a sip of water before I get there. These are the world, the devil, and the flesh. I want to share a brief word on each one of them. Firstly, the world. This word, cosmos, in the New Testament, doesn't refer to the physical universe or creation. Rather, it is a shorthand for the world rejecting the presence, the rule, and the lordship of God. It is, as one theologian argues, human society organizing itself without God. So according to Paul, we walked according to the flow of human society organizing itself without God. Darrell Johnson says that we took our cues on how to live from it. We let our sense of identity and worth be determined by it. We let our careers and livelihoods be determined by it. We let our understanding of how communities and cities and nations work to be shaped by it. And we let our understanding of sexuality and marriage and family be formed by it. Our values are set by a godless way of life, shaped by a godless version and vision of reality. Or, as Eugene Peterson paraphrases the scriptures, we let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about truly living, tell us how to live. The world, human society organizing itself without God, disconnected, apart from the living God. The devil, the bad news continues to be really bad. And Paul explains that in our sin, we unknowingly or knowingly cooperate with powers in direct opposition to God. Powers in direct opposition to the giver of life. Now I understand that in a Western context, this might seem ludicrous or even offensive to say, but according to scripture, we will never completely understand life unless we take this reality into consideration. I've had the privilege of growing up and being formed in an African context where in my nation, like in many nations across the world, the question is not, are there spiritual powers at work in the world? But rather, what is my response to the powers that are at work in the world? The American biblical scholar Walter Wink writes that spiritual powers are everywhere around us. Their presence is real, And inescapable. And while it is a virtue to disbelieve in something that does not exist, it is dangerous and even arrogant to disbelieve in something because it simply exists outside of our current limited categories. And in God's kindness, this biblical worldview lovingly gives us a lens through which we can see any form of sin, transgression any form of injustice or human oppression, tyranny and rebellion. Lovingly, we can look through this reality, the spiritual reality as a lens by which we can better understand things like human trafficking, racial injustice, violence and abuse, the chokehold of consumerism or any falsehood that promises we can bring ourselves back to life. The goal of God's enemy is the great end of disbelief. Disbelief in the God who loves us and a failure to believe that we can trust the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For once we do not trust, we are more likely to disobey. And we saw that with our first parents, Adam and Eve. Once we do not trust, we are more likely to disobey. Finally, the flesh. Most often in the scriptures, the flesh is human nature trying to live apart from God, defined by one theologian as human nature turned away from the creator and then turned in and on itself. Human nature turned away from the creator and then turned in and on itself. It is humanity ultimately with self at the center. It is the poem, Will Invictus. We were chatting about that movie the other day. Um, written by William Ernest Hemi, which proclaims, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Self-driven, self-oriented, self-grounded, and we have all lived it. Apart from Jesus Christ, Paul says that we are dead. We are dead in our rebellion and sin, captured, mastered, and enslaved by the world, the devil, and the flesh. In Ephesians chapter 2, in the message, it reads, It wasn't long ago that you were murdered in that old, stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Romans chapter 3 in the message says this. So where does this put us? Basically, all of us whether insiders or outsiders start out in identical conditions, which is to say that we start out as sinners, as Paul reminds us, we are dead. The bad news is really, really bad. But God, but God, God's gracious act of intervention, which we read in verse 4 to 7, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. But, God, Can you say, but God? Can you say it again? But But God. This little phrase, Daryl Johnson writes, is the gospel in the simplest form. It could be the title for the whole Bible stamped on the cover from the beginning of the great story, all through the middle and at the end. But God. This is a stunning crossroads for humanity. We were dead but God, we were dead in our trespasses, but God, we were dead in our sins, but God, we were captured, mastered, and enslaved by the world, the devil, and the flesh, but God. The sting of death makes the good news truly very good news. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ that collides with the story of humanity. When we have nothing nothing to offer him. He enters human history to rescue us and he radically redefines how we relate to God who is our Father. If justice is God giving us what we deserve, mercy, which we read about in Ephesians chapter 2, is God not giving us what we deserve. And grace, which we also read about in this passage, is God giving us exactly what we do not deserve. If God's enemy would declare over our lives, but your sin, Jesus declares, but who? God. But God, who is rich in mercy, saves you by grace. This is the inexhaustible, immeasurable goodness of God towards us. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not God makes naughty people good. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not God helps bad people clean up their act, pull up their socks, or turn over a new leaf. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God raises dead people. People to life. Like anyone who is dying, our propensity is to look for life saving measures. We look for life saving measures wherever we can ourselves, others, systems, practices, and structures. But the truth is that the dead cannot resurrect the dead. Resurrection power is reserved for the living God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 does not read, but Caitlin. It also does not read, but South Africa. It does not read, but we went west to the frontiers, whether that is geographically or in our own hearts. It does not read, but my education, but my financial status, but my medical care. It reads, but God, yes. God does a new thing in the world. And he does a new thing through Jesus Christ, that when we were dead, because he is rich in mercy, he saves us by grace to show the immeasurable riches of his grace. So what is the new thing that he has done? Well, God, we read in Ephesians, has made us alive. He has raised us up and he has seated us in the heavens with Jesus Christ made us alive, raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Jesus Christ. I'm gonna ask you if you have your Bible to just turn back to Ephesians chapter one, verse 19 to 21, because I want you to see something really amazing. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter one, verse 19, that we would know the surpassing greatness of God's power, which if you read through Ephesians, you get this sense that there is immeasurably more to God, that he is exceedingly more. In Romans, we read how much more. So there is this infinite goodness to God, this infinite power to God that sits, we read in Ephesians, far above. So Paul prays that we would know the surpassing greatness of God's power, which he exercised in Christ by raising him from the dead Seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So, what Paul wants us to see is that what God has done for Jesus Christ, he has now done for everyone who believes in him. God. Raised, we read here, he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavens far above. Jesus was dead, but God raised him to life and he seated him in the heavens. What a display of God's power. We are dead apart from God, but God has made us alive in Christ. He has seated us with him in the heavens. And this is a stunning display of his grace. So what is true of Jesus Christ is now true of us too. What is true of Jesus, friends, is true for you today. Which means that you're sitting on these hard, white, lovely chairs, but you are also seated with Christ in heavenly places. In the person of Jesus, the gospel proclamation collides with human history. And in him, the grip of sin and death is broken. And in him, we are completely transferred from one reality to another. In Jesus Christ, we are taken from death into life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that God has put everything under his feet. So we are taken from death to life and we are seated with Christ who rules above all things. He is the king of kings and we are seated with him. New Testament scholar Andrew Lincoln sums it up for us. He says that Christ's death was a death to the old order. To the powers of this age that we spoke about earlier, including sin, and his resurrection was a coming alive to a new order. So Christ's death was a death to the old order, and his resurrection was coming alive to a new order in which he functioned as Lord with the power of God. Christ's death and resurrection changed the power structures of history. We are no longer slaves to sin. In Christ, we are no longer dead in our trespasses in Christ because he has transferred us from one reality to another, from death to life. If but God is the gospel in two words, this is the gospel in three words, and three verbs, made alive, raised up, seated in him. God makes us alive in the life of Christ who is himself alive. And we are raised up into a new indestructible world order. A world order in which sin and the grave do not have the final say. A world order in which sin and the grave cannot destroy. Lastly, Christ is on the throne and so all who belong to him are invited to finally live And do what we were created for. Good works in partnership with our servant King, Jesus. Made alive, raised up, seated. Can you say that? Made alive, raised up, seated. Because he is rich in mercy. And displaying the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Finally, friends, we are alive in Christ. Verse eight to 10, for you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Brian's sister, Jenna, Who lives in South Africa is a ballerina. And I will never forget what the examiner wrote about her final contemporary ballet exam. She said that watching Jenna dance was like watching poetry in motion. The actual word that Paul uses for workmanship is poema, which we use to derive the English word poem. You can see it there. This word was used to describe handiwork of all kinds, but it has a particular emphasis on rhythm, orderliness, and beauty. So we, who were dead in our trespasses and sin, one reality, are transferred into a totally different reality. We are God's poema. We are His poetry, His handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Interestingly, the word poema is used only two times in the New Testament, both times by Paul. The first time he uses it is in his letter to the Romans, and in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says this, for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. Scholars scholars tell us that the phrase, through what he has made, is a translation of that word, poema. So what we learn then is that at the creation of the world, at the formation of the world, God wrote a poem by which he has revealed himself. Through creation, God wrote a poem that we might begin to understand his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature. The second time poema is used is here in Ephesians when Paul speaks about us and he tells us that we are God's poema. We are his poetry. To understand these two uses of the word poema, Daryl Johnson writes something very interesting. He says, the world and we were God's first work expressing rhythm, orderliness, and beauty. But we know the story. We know what happened in Genesis, that God's first poem got ruined, a fact which everyone on this planet is painfully aware, that things are not as they should be. So what did God do? He wrote a new poem, and he made a new creation, through who? Jesus Christ God made us a people alive in Jesus Christ. We are his new work, expressing rhythm, orderliness, and beauty. We, friends, are poetry in motion, living poems. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and passed away, and see, the new has come. And this is what it means to be saved by the immeasurable riches of God's grace. That the old has gone and the new has come. In Christ, we are sl- saved from slavery to sin, the sting of death, the powers of evil and the wrath of God. And in Christ, we are saved for life with him. We are raised up. We are seated living as new creations. The new poems that reveal God's divine nature. <coughs> this is why Paul urges us in Ephesians chapter 4 and through the remainder of the letter to walk Worthy of the calling that you have received. The close of Ephesians is all about how do we walk then as new creations? How do we walk worthy of those who have been made alive, raised up, seated in the heavens with Christ Jesus? So, friends, the call for us today is do not walk as the dead. You are no longer the walking dead in Christ Jesus. We are alive. And so we can walk as those who are alive in Christ Jesus. In Him, we become an emblem of God's grace. In Him, we become enlivened in a whole new way, animated and empowered for the good works of God's kingdom which we read, he's prepared beforehand for us to walk in. He's gone ahead of us for those good works that we are to do in partnership with him. And it's not that we have to strive. It's not that we have to hustle. We simply walk in that which he has already laid before us. Because God's grace doesn't save us to sit back and do nothing. God's grace, we learn, saves us For good works, it puts us to good work, and in Matthew chapter eleven, verse twenty-nine, in the Message translation, we read that God's grace, which puts us to good work, puts us into good, pleasant, spacious places with Jesus. It says, "Walk with me, Jesus Christ. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms." Of grace. Learn what it means to be poetry in motion. Rhythm, orderliness, and beauty. Rhythm, orderliness, and beauty when we walk with Jesus Christ, when we work with him and we watch him and we learn how he would do it. Behind me on the screen is a painting. Um, along with Ephesians. <laughs> but there we go. Thank you, Sean. So clever. Um, This is Leonardo da Vinci's Salvatore Mundi. And in this painting, we see Christ. And with his right hand, he is blessing. And in his left hand, he's holding an orb. You can't really see it, but he's holding an orb. And that's representative of the cosmos. So Jesus Christ is blessing and he's holding the cosmos. Christ, the Savior of the world. Christ, the one who blesses the cosmos. Christ, the one who makes alive, raises up and seats those who would say, yes, I, I see you for who you are. I see and recognize that you are the Savior. Christ, the Savior of the world. In 2017, this painting was sold for $450.3 million dollars making it the most expensive piece of art that has ever been sold in auction. Salvatore Mundi, the most expensive piece of art ever sold, except for you. Living poems, poetry in motion, the poema, the handiwork, the workmanship of God Purchased by the body and blood of his son, Jesus Christ. You are the most expensive piece of living art that has ever been purchased. Purchased by the living God himself. You were dead, but God, in the immeasurable riches of his grace, you are a new creation. Alive, raised up, seated, Can you say that with me one more time? Alive, raised up, seated. From death to life. But God. The proclamation of the gospel. But God, a loving father who would rend open, tear open the heavens and collide with human history. Turning everything on an axle. Changing the course of history completely reforming the way that we relate to him. I'm gonna invite you to stand. And as we close our service today, I want to pray. Acts chapter one, verse 28 tells us, friends, that it is in him, in Jesus, that we live and we move and we have our being I wanna read the scripture one more time. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship. We are his Poetry created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And I believe that as we close out this message today, we can respond to the gospel in three ways. Firstly, we can sit before our Father in heaven and we can acknowledge, maybe it's for the first time, or maybe it's simply again, that apart from Jesus Christ, we are dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, captured and mastered by the world, the devil, and the flesh. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are dead. That's weighty. Sometimes it's painful to acknowledge. But it's true. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins but God. Secondly, we can maybe receive for the first time or receive once again the gift of God's grace, but God. Yes, we are dead in our sin, but God who is rich in mercy makes us alive and He transfers us supernaturally from one reality to another, from death to life. Seats raised up Made alive, seated with Christ in the heavens. And then finally, friends, maybe you hear that echo in your ear but sin, but your sin, but you are dead. And you are walking as one who is dead when in fact you are not. You are alive. And maybe there's an opportunity for you today to start to walk as someone who is alive in Christ. That you would believe, allow your belief of God to allow your theology, your understanding of the Father's heart to actually begin to shape your lived experience. To make that journey from the head to the heart that yes, you are no longer dead, but you are alive. So this is your clarion call, this is your commission, this is your invitation from the Father to throw off the chains and the shackles of sin and death and to live, to become poetry emotion that tells and reveals and makes known the immeasurable riches of His divine nature, to breathe life and hope and joy into the spaces that He has placed you. Walk as one who is worthy of the calling, alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavens. I'm gonna ask if our prayer counselors would come forward. Um, Bobby, Glow, you as well, please. Um, And if you would like to respond to the gospel in any one of those three ways, to acknowledge that you are dead in sin, to remember the gracious gift of God, and to begin walking as one who is alive, I would love to invite you to receive prayer. It's our joy to pray for you. It's our honor to pray for you. And I'm gonna close us in a short corporate prayer and we'll enter a moment of worship. But friends, this is the gospel proclamation. Five words that you can remember. But God, and three verbs. Raised up, made alive seated. That's all you remember. But God made alive, raised up, seated. Father, we stand before you this morning and we acknowledge once again that in our sin and in our trespasses we are dead. We are helpless and there is finality to our helplessness apart from you. But we thank you that you are a loving Father who is rich in in mercy, and that in your great love, you do not leave us in death, but instead, you come and you rescue us, and you redeem us, and you raise us to life with a resurrection power that is reserved for the living God alone. We are saved by grace, Father, and we recognize that in you today. It is by your grace that we live. It is by your grace that we move. It is by your grace that we have our being. Thank you that you would choose us to reveal who you are, that you would choose us to be emblems of what you are doing in the world, that you would choose us to be poetry in motion. This is your gift to us. I pray and I ask that we would be a community who does not walk as the dead, but that we would be those who walk knowing that in Christ we are alive, alive, and that we would throw off the lies of the enemy, that we would ignore his taunts, that we would ignore his tantrums and instead pick up the authority that is given to us in Jesus and proclaim alive, alive, we are alive in Jesus Christ, alive, We are alive. Walk worthy of the calling that you have received in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.